Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter, joined as always by the cold miser to my heat miser, Brandon. I have no idea what that means, to be heat, honest. Heat you know, it's been hot, Brandon. It's been real hot. And uh, all the news says that with uh, climate change, we're just getting hotter and hotter here in Minnesota and more humid. So that's awesome. That No, it's great. <laughs> I love it. It's 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 been a fun week here in Minnesota. Man, it's, we're, degrees. It's, it's hot. Yeah. In the 90s. Big storms coming tonight, I guess, and then maybe a bit of a cool down for the weekend, which is not bad. Um, I always look forward to some storms. I thought we were going to have a few roll through last night, but nope, they, uh, nope. They, they broke apart before they even came close. My lawn is nice and brown, so... Join the could. club. Mine, yeah, mine's we, non-existent we, at this point. <laughs> at least you don't have to mow. <laughs> that, that, that's very true. It's hard to mow, and it's just crispy uh, molehills and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I've been up at the cabin a little bit, which has been good. Um, haven't really had any travel other than that. We we had a little COVID in our house, so we're we're hunkering down right now. Not me, but other family members. So we're not going to the cabin. Here's the funny thing about COVID. Uh, for me, is you know I bought a 14 pound brisket for the smoker, uh, that I was gonna, you know, we were going to have like 17 people at the cabin this weekend and I was in charge of dinner for Friday night. And now I'm home and I'm still smoking a 14 pound brisket. <laughs> it's so gonna all my, eaten. yeah, all my neighbors are going to get, uh, little brisket gift packages this afternoon. If you live on our street in Edina and are listening to this, I know I've got one listener here on the block. So she, by the time she is hearing this, she probably will already have some brisket. So what time should I stop by? <laughs> Anytime. Hey, man, <laughs> if you want some brisket, I'm telling you, bro, I'm taking it off. Uh, it, I put it on at about 11 last night. Now it's 9 a.m., so it's been on for 10 hours. Uh, probably take it off here in the next hour or so, then put it in a cooler. Um, not to cool, but like uh, you, you put it in a cooler and let it sit for two to three more hours before you cut it. Uh, so yeah, anytime afternoon, if you're if you're in this neck of the woods, bro, come on by and perfect. I mean, I, 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 had, I had COVID just a few months ago, so I think I'm good. So I can just sneak on in there. I'll be fine. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I've still got I've still got uh, a power strip of yours too that I should. Return there you, you go. That that's my excuse. <laughs> I'm not getting the brisket. I'm getting the power strip. <laughs> well, uh, how about you? Are you staying hunkered down in the cool basement? Yes, I am. I'm uh, locked away in the dungeon, as always, when we record these things. And you know what? For once, I'm kind of thankful for it with uh, the temps outside. It's like a hot wind. I hate that. That's the worst. Yeah. You can't even cool down. No, I. it is It is a hot wind. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to these this cool down tonight. Um, yeah, let's see what else is cooking. I've, I've got a, a trip I'm guiding to the Boundary Waters in August, which is full. And I'm leading a writer's creativity retreat to uh, Rome and Florence, Italy in September. That's also full. But if anybody out there is interested in um, going on my next trip, I think it'll probably be in spring of 2024 uh, will be my next Italy retreat. So just drop me a line through the socials or through 
reverendhunter.com and I'll put you on the list. I'm building a list of people who've expressed interest in that. Love to have see meet some new people and spend a you know 10 or 12 days in Italy. It's always an incredible time. So that's what we've got cooking around here. Um and Brandon, the the uh the summer of collabs continues. Yes, it does. Yeah. This is a another collaborative podcast. Uh just like last month. Uh, where I collabed on a podcast with um, my buddy Mark Norquist at Modern Carnivore. Today, I collabed with uh, Joey Svensson of Pastor with No Answers. So he's a um, a pastor who deals a lot with uh, people, a, a movement within evangelicalism called deconstruction, which is going on right now where a lot of people are rethinking the politics and the theology of the evangelicalism in which they were reared. Uh, I think Joey's one of those guys. He has not lost his faith. He's still working at a church, but uh, turns out some great podcasts. I've been a guest several times with him, and he approached me and said, how, how would you like to co-interview Neil Dudley, who um, he has uh, a couple podcasts, and it's pretty. It, it's an interesting conversation because he works at Peterson Family Farms, and in fact, I just got a box of Peterson Family Farms stuff in the uh, that he shipped to me yesterday, and it looks amazing. Um, really, all organically. You know, I don't know if it's all organic, but it's it's all natural. Like for instance, they make. Um, they they make their bacon with no sugar added, un uh, uncured bacon with no sugar added, which makes it healthier. And I think they were, as as he said, maybe before we started recording, they're one of the first people to commercially produce bacon with no sugar. Um, and I caught a bunch of sausages, some buffalo meat, and man, I'm just looking forward to digging into all of it. Um, so I'm super thankful to him and he's just a really gracious guy and a great guest. Um, he is the host of the, the cowboy perspective podcast. Um, and like I said, also works at Peterson Peterson's, uh, natural farms. Um, so you can see all those links in the show notes. Uh, we have a great time talking about a bunch of different stuff. Joey and I kind of arm wrestle for who's who's running the podcast at the beginning, as people will see. But we finally said, you know, it's weird to kind of co, co collab on a podcast because each of us are is used to hosting our own podcast. But I think we made it work, Brandon, as 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 the hour rolls on. Yeah, it didn't come across as too many chefs in the kitchen or anything like that. <laughs> okay. It worked out very well. It was good stuff. So I thank you as always for editing it and making it sound good. And I thank all of you for listening. For sure, we'd love you to uh, subscribe, rate, review, share. If you're interested in sponsoring the Reverend Hunter podcast, get in touch with us uh, and be sure to listen to all of our brother and sister podcasts on the Talk North network. We'd love to uh, and, and let them know, you know, when you're in there, say, hey, the Reverend, the Reverend Hunter sent me. We'd appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everybody. And here is my collab podcast with Joey Svensson of Pastor With No Answers and our interview with Neil Dudley of the Cowboy Perspective podcast. 
Let me let me open up us with some uh, prayer and Bible study. We'll skip the prayer. Let me get to the Bible study. Let me read in Romans eight. It says, "For when for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation." But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So along with creation, there's other passages in there that implies all of creation. So when you guys reached out, Neil, I was thinking, man, let's have a conversation about animals, plants, protists, and people. And are they all equal in value? And yes. you. Ha- I've been doing more Googling in the last <laughs> three hours getting ready for this conversation that I have in a long time. I, I Googled sanctity, then I had to Google, uh, I had to look up protus. So, dude, you are you are like educating me, and I appreciate it. I hope everybody out there listening is, go- Google it if you don't know the word. Seriously, like don't be embarrassed that you don't know the word. Go Google it. You're pro- you, there's a good chance you're going to learn a thing that you didn't know. I already have in hopes of being a quality guest and not wasting your time listening to this. <laughs> I asked Dr. Tony over here if I could start us off with with some quirky, typical questions from Joey Spenson, but I, I thought this would formulate the conversation, kind of let our listeners hear where we're all coming from. I will answer these as well, but these aren't necessarily to take super serious. But hey, the first question, is it a big deal to leave a dog in the kennel all day? So we have a dog. I've never been a dog owner. If it wasn't for my wife, I'd go to work, leave the dog in the kennel. It's a dog. Now, I love the dog. When I come home, I pet the dog. I'm kind to the dog. We feed the dog. The dog needs to stay in the kennel all day. It's a dog. The dog will be fine. Now, I hear people that say that's cruel to the dog to leave it in the kennel all day. Like that bitch needs to stay there all day, right? You guys will get a kick out of this. So this is how dumb I am with dogs. I've never owned a dog. I didn't want to own this dog. My wife won the argument, obviously, but I'm pulling up to my workplace. I had a meeting. It was going to be about an hour and a half. And it's it's last summer in Charleston, South Carolina. So I was like, I'll park in the shade. I'll crack all the windows. She's fine. So I go inside. I'm like, I'm second guessing myself. I'm like, man, if that dog dies, that's going to be a really big deal. So I went up to a friend of mine. I said, Hey, you know, dogs. She's like, yeah. Told her the situation. She's like, that dog will die. You need to go get the dog, bring the dog inside. I had no idea. Yeah, That was a bad deal. I'm surprised somebody didn't smash your window to let the dog out because that happens. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. People do that. Oh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on oh, the kennel? Well, I've got a ton of thoughts. Let's hear it. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, my experience with dogs ranges wildly. I'm nervous as hell to tell you the truth, but I just have to. God is watching. I'm growing up on the ranch, dogs were a tool. Like, they weren't pets. They were a tool. They didn't come in the house. Absolutely not. Now, I say I've owned two angel dogs. Like, Two of them, two dogs I've had out of the 50 were like family. And they got on the furniture at the house. I mean, they pretty much could do anything because you could tell them, get off, and they would get off. I mean, they were just super great, awesome companions. But then the other 50 got ran over on the road, got hung on a fence by a cowboy that was mad at it for not listening and left there and never went back to. I mean, like, I've got that kind of experience that that seems obviously is going to make your eyebrows perk up. It's going to be like, wow, this guy's had some traumatic experiences in his life. To me, though, it wasn't traumatic. Yep. It, you know, it was like, okay, you know, that dog's not worth it. Anyways, 
that's kind of my thoughts on it. If, if you want to leave them in the kennel all day, fine. Do yeah. it. I, I th- it's almost like kids, too. I was expected whoa, to work whoa, whoa, and be whoa, an asset as a kid. <laughs> okay. I wasn't always allowed just to do whatever I wanted to. Sometimes I had to stay in the house or in the truck while Dad worked all day. Guess what? I'm fine. It's it's not killing that dog. I wonder. Now, these are my opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if farming has anything to do with it because my mother-in-law grew up on a dairy farm, and sh- that's how she sees animals. Animals are functional. I can, well, not all of them. I live. I mean, some of my best friends raised on ranches and farms, and and super big-time dog lovers. For for it's just the experience. Every human's experience is so different. Like she had cancer, she had a dog that really helped her through that, you know? So dogs are just super, super special. She gets pretty mad at me when she thinks that we're leaving the house without guaranteeing somebody's there to take care of the dogs. Yeah. They catch rabbits. (laughs) Yeah. So Tony, we we have two cats. One of the cats gets sick. We take the cat to the vet. The vet says, hey, we're so sorry. Cat's in critical condition. This is going to be three grand easily, maybe more. Joey Svensson, I'm going to go home and tell the kids, your cat had to be put down. Now, that's an asshole father move maybe, but is it an asshole move to the cat? The cat's a pet. I love the cat. We need that $2,000. <laughs> What's the most y'all have ever paid for a pet to get better? <laughs> well, I do. I don't know about, I don't know about uh, Neil. Much. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, for me, the dog uh, is a pet and it's also a tool. Like Neil's saying, I mean, if you're a rancher, obviously dogs primarily are tools. Our dog is a family pet, but also is my hunting companion. My current hunting dog, I think I that makes yeah, that's a difference. I think I paid a thousand bucks. So I would have a I mean, I kind of have an informal ceiling, like limit on how much I would pay. I probably would not pay five or six thousand dollars in, you know, chemotherapy treatments to keep my dog alive when as much as I love him, there are a, a lot of great hunting Labrador retrievers available out there. You know, a dog's lifespan is short, but I will say that, you know, there are evolutionary biologists who say that there's never been two different species who've been so uh, connected or so compatible as dogs and humans, as homo sapiens and, and canis familiaris. So there just are no other two species who work in tandem the way that humans and dogs do. Yeah. So I do also want to attend to that reality. And, and I, it's, it's why humans feel so connected to dogs also because dogs have a muscle in their eyebrow that makes them able to do like a sad face and lift their eyebrows and wolves from whom dogs are descended are incapable of that same face fit. So it's one of the reasons humans feel so sympathetic toward dogs is because they can give you that puppy eyes look. I mean, that look is literally like an evolution, an evolutionary <laughs> trait of dogs that their wolf ancestors do not have. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so intriguing. Neil, let me ask you this. So let's say you and I are standing around having a conversation. There's a beautiful tree. I mean, you just marvel at it. It's got a big branch that's hanging down, beautiful leaves. And we're just talking. And I just grab the branch and just go, 
and I just crack it off, swing the branch around while we're talking, and then I just throw it on the ground. Do you think, what the hell did you just do that for? Like, as a plant, why'd you just break the branch off for no reason? Would that be offensive to you? If it was hanging low enough for you to grab it, I think it's hanging too low. I mean, that's me. <laughs> I already it get deserves, Neil. Neil's like, I don't give a to, shit. <laughs> no, I care about a lot of things. I really do. But I was raised by a dad who liked trees trimmed high so you could see the terrain, so you could see the house. And we spent hours trimming trees. Yeah. Now, I think after you break the branch off and swing it around and throw it down, you should spray that wound with a sealant uh-huh. so a bug doesn't get in there and end up killing this beautiful tree that we all appreciate. But a limb hanging down where you can't walk under the tree and enjoy its shade is bigger problem to me than to take the limb off. So there, that's my perspective. There you go. What if the limb is not causing any problems? It's not in the way I just wanted to do that, Tony. Would you be like, Joey, that's kind of, why would you do that? Or would you not even think anything of it? See, I might not even think anything of it. I think I would because I think I've told my kids before, hey, don't do that. But it's because we're downtown Charleston and I know, hey, that would not be a good look to do that on the street. But I think otherwise, maybe I wouldn't even think about it. But it's life. Look, I think what you're getting at is, is there some kind of spectrum of plant and animal life? I think it's, these are huge, honestly, these are really important ethical questions that I talk quite often about. So my podcast listeners, will be familiar with that. In fact, even in our last episode, we talked quite a bit about that with a guy who runs an, an organization called Modern Carnivore, which is about trying to eat meat more responsibly. And Neil, you should have him on your podcast. I'll send him your, I'll send you his info. But I do think there is some kind of gradation uh, on these things. But Joey, like one of the things is that a tree, as kind of Neil already alluded to, a tree can continue to survive after you've pruned a branch, a part of just like a part of being a farmer, uh, like a farmer of livestock is animal husbandry. There's kind of like a similar type of deal for a guy of a huge garden. And uh, I go out there every single morning and weed. And I got a cherry tree I'm looking at right outside my window here. That's probably in the next week is going to have the equivalent of, I don't know, maybe five or six gallons of sour cherries. And I have to prune that tree to keep it, you know, healthy and alive. So, but I think you're, uh, the point of your question might also be that if you're, you're just doing it for the hell of it, just for shits and giggles. I mean, it reminds me of like when we were kids and we would catch frogs by the lake and we'd like, and throw them up. Oh no, we would put like a little uh, firecracker in the mouth, in the mouth of the frog and throw it in the lake. And then then it would be like, it would do this little explosion. No. And you look back on stuff you did like that and it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Maybe, but at least it stopped at some point and you didn't turn into Jeffrey. Well, this is the thing. Okay. So maybe the, like, maybe the greatest conservationist of the 20th century, Aldo Leopold has wrote about a very famous story in which he killed a wolf and he felt so much remorse, so much moral remorse at killing that wolf that he, he kept hunting, he continued to hunt, but he never again killed an, an, a wolf or any other apex predator like that. And he just felt like in some ways that wolf was his kin in a way that um, a white-tailed Whoa. deer or a pheasant isn't his kin. So he 
no longer wow. would hunt uh, apex predators. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, I think they're great questions, and I'm interested in Neil's perspective because also there's all sorts of implications for our commercial food production, and how do we even provide enough protein to eight billion people on this planet? Like, I wish everybody would hunt because I think if everybody hunted, I think they'd have a lot better perspective on where they're meat and protein comes from, they'd be a lot more respectful of it. They'd probably eat quite a bit less of it, pay more attention to it. But that's also totally unrealistic. Like there's not enough wild game for 8 billion people to hunt. So we need processed food. Like I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a, something it's I want to pursue meat. with Neil. Let, let, me, let, let me pick one more. Just for fun, Neil, if a dude is strangling on a dog and you're like, put the dog down. And he's like, Go to hell! I'm killing this dog. Do you shoot that guy to save the dog? I mean, no. I would. I mean, I think that's dog is isn't in his hands and under his supervision. What? Am, who am I to tell Tony what he's going to do with his thousand dollar dog? I Tony, what if it's, it's your dog and some dude is strangling it? Well, yeah, and you that, tell that's them, a different. Put your position. dog down. He says, "Go to hell." Do you shoot the guy? <laughs> do I shoot my guy, Joey? <laughs> shoot the guy. Like, How about just kick yeah. his ass? I mean, I just get him off my dog. I mean, it. it, it I. I guess again the ethical the, the ethical question you're asking is if if you walked up and saw somebody choking a kid would you shoot that right. guy to save the kid and of course this is the this is the like the moral conundrum that takes place in the evacuation bus on the last episode of the TV show MASH so i don't know if either of you guys know that reference or not some some listeners will know that reference i know the mash okay. song i'll put it that way neil yeah. neil I, I watched some episodes of mash but i'm not sure i know that specific one you're yeah, talking so about yeah so neil with all of your you're you're a hunter right not avid, not okay. really. Okay. I'm not a big hunter. Tony, I was going to tell you that, so I, I grew up in a family of hunters. Like I, I'm actually a part of a redneck family. I kind of went off the beaten path, but my uncles, my grandfather's hunters. And so I went with them a lot and I have to admit, I don't have any problem with it. Like it's not a, a moral thing for me. It's like, no, you kill meat, you eat the meat. But when I see a deer get shot, it does bother me. I would imagine you've done it so much to where it's just doesn't really affect you at all. Again, my listeners will be familiar with this phrase, but I call it the eyelash rule. Human beings seem to have a lot harder time killing animals that have eyelashes than other animals. Like a lot of people say, a lot, every, tons of people fish. You know what I'm saying? Like 15% of Americans fish. They got no problem killing a fish, okay? And then people yeah. were like, oh, I bird hunt, but eh, I don't really want to hunt deer. I don't and, and a big part of it is that's a big, big mammal is different. So no, I still actually do. I've done quite a bit of writing about this recently. Watching a white-tailed deer die at my hand still uh, does affect me actually and i hope it continues to affect me but neil what oh, you cool do what you do that. neil you probably come a lot in a lot more touch with the death of animals and i wonder how it affects you to be implicated i mean we're all of us who buy meat and eat meat are implicated in the death of animals, you're just closer to it working for a, a company that actually produces yeah. commercial protein. So it's one thing for me to kill two or three whitetails a deer a year, whitetail deer a year, and I don't know, a couple dozen pheasants, but how many animals do you see killed yeah. every year? I mean, let's see, we, we get harvest. You know, that's, that's the euphemism the right for it. it. Yeah. For the people that are sensitive 
<laughs> but we kill about 1,500 head of wow. pigs a week. And I'm not personally attached to any one of them. But the gravity of the, the occurrence of their death is still real to me. It's still a thing I feel passionate about having value to myself and others. Look, we need to use every speck of that animal we possibly can. Do we? No. It's hard to use every speck of bone, every piece of offal, every hoof. We don't do it perfectly, but we strive towards it very hard. Same as you do, I'm sure, Tony, when you kill a deer. You're trying to tan that hide, use all of those things. I think if anybody's ever watched the show alone, you should watch season seven. There's a guy in there that kills a muskox with his knife. I mean, no, he shoots it with an arrow, then kills it by it's, his hand with insane. a knife. It's insane. And he eats, he eats the stomach con- He eats the yeah. stomach contents. I mean, he ate everything that animal had to offer, and it was valuable to him. So that's how I think about it. I mean, I killed a doe deer, we're skinning it, and milk comes out of her udder. Oh, I just killed a baby, a baby deer's mama. Mm. That brought a tear to my eye. I should tell you someday about the first time I killed a deer. It was the most crazy thing, and I ended up having to strangle it to death. That mm. is killing something. That is experiencing the truth of it. Most people have no clue. They just have zero understanding of what taking a life is. And I don't think they have to. I think it gives me a a sure enough, unique, special perspective to be in the business I am and to talk about. I'm curious what both of you would think about the word humane. That seems somewhat of a subjective word. And Neil, that's that's something that, and, and by the way, Holy cow, congratulations. Like I've been on your website and the Peterson's Natural Farms. This is awesome. And well, congratulations. You both are gonna get a box full of Peterson's meat. <laughs> you are kidding me. That's that's one of the rules. Like when I make new friends, they get meat. <laughs> oh my lord, have mercy. Uh what's humane? Like what 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 would you you strive to be humane? What what is that? And I tell you what, why not we'll let the the host of Reverend Hunter answer first cuz I'm curious what Tony would say and then I'd love love to hear you Neil like Tony humane. Like is there a pretty simple definition of that? Yeah, Joey, I, I, I do, you know, I don't know about it. I can't. I, I'm not a fan of that word. Actually, I, I'm not a fan of that as an adjective describing, like that. There's a humane way to kill an animal. The, one one of the things I love about hunting that I didn't get when I was a pastor in a church, even though I had to take classes on ethics in seminary. Once I got into the church world, we never talked about ethics. It was all pragmatics. It was all like, how do you grow a church? How do you make the church work better? How should we do? How you know? Should we do? Weddings for non-members? Should we charge them more? It's, it's all shit like that. That's all we talked about all day. We never talked about like the ethics of pastoral counseling, bigger societal issues or anything like that. The hunters I know, I know this is not true for all hunters. The hunters I know spend a lot of time thinking about the ethics of the hunt. And so for instance, one of the things you try to do is you try to, you, the reason people practice their shots, especially bow hunters, is because you want to place your shot in a way that's going to kill an animal. So the most 
quote unquote humane shot on, on a deer or any large mammal is a double lung shot, which will mean the animal will be dead in about six seconds, depending on the size of the animal. What I don't like about the word humane is I think it tends to anthropomorphize all other animals. Like we're, we're the only animals making this decision of how to kill another animal <laughs> most quickly. So other animals, other, other predators do it. They kill an animal, they kill a prey animal in the way that's the most effective way to kill that prey animal so that it doesn't escape. But then, yeah, I'll throw it back to Neil because I once toured a Tyson chicken kill plant in Arkansas years ago. And then we met with John Tyson, who was the... He was the CEO uh, and, the, and the founder and a very strong Christian guy. And he was very proud of the fact that they had invented a way to kill chickens most humanely from what they thought was the most humane way to kill a chicken, which was to, it's upside down in stirrups. Its head gets dragged through an electrified pool of water, which stuns them. And then their throats are hit with a whirring razor blade. And he was like, there's no, you know, there's no perfect way to kill a chicken, but we think this is the most humane way to kill a chicken. So I wonder when you're slaughtering 1,500 head of hogs a week, how are you guys doing that? And do you think about the ethics of that or improving the way? I mean, I'm sure there are ways that our great-great-grandparents slaughtered hogs and you've improved upon that technologically. So how do you do it? And are there more changes happening in the industry now? Well, the way we, the way we stun our pigs is they go into a CO2 chamber. So there's this big kind of moving pen that dunks them down underground. They get basically strangled to death with you just all oxygens removed. And I've been like, let's strap a GoPro on one of them and go down there. But listen... If anybody thinks death is going to be pretty, they don't know anything about it. There is no death that doesn't have angst and pain and sadness and beauty, you know, in it, if you allow those things. So, I mean, probably that little idea of mine's not the greatest because you're going to find out that it's pigs strangling and they're scared and they're, it's all those same things that happens, but it's, it's not shooting them in the head with a bullet or cutting their throat or stunning them behind the ears with electrodes. Uh, there, there's no perfect way to make death pretty. Well, at if, least you didn't you send a bunch of demons into the pigs and throw them off a cliff either. <laughs> I, was, I was reading that in the Bible just the other day. We've been on vacation. I love vacation because I get to get up before everybody else, have a cup of coffee, read the Bible. And uh, my cousin that I go with, we kind of, just talk about it. And I'm like, is that where the idea that pork is bad comes from? That particular instance in the Bible? But he's like, no, that's not what that's <laughs> not what it is. It's just an, but it's like the Bible can get me all twisted around. Like, oh man, what's all this about? Like, uh, that's how we do it. It affects me. Look, they're gonna die. Like, we're all gonna die. I could have a heart attack right now. Right. And it, it'd be all over for me. I'm I'm super uh I feel supremely confident I'm going to heaven. I'll see you guys there. I'll see my grandparents there. I'll see, so, you know, and other people think that's just the most ridiculous thing. Like, how could you even believe in that? You've never seen it. Well, I've felt it. That's about the only way I can explain it is I've felt God in my life and I really believe in it. And what's the worst case? That I'm wrong? Okay, I've lived a, a purposeful, great 
loving life, and turns out, man, there wasn't God, and I just turned back to dirt, and that's yeah. all there is to it. You ain't going well, uh, to be disappointed. Yeah, at the end of the day, I've, I've done a good thing. Is what you're doing, Neil, though, different morally from gigantic chicken nugget corporations. Uh, Tyson's one of them, right? No, it's not different morally in any way. It's different. Aren't the conditions for you? It's perceived differently. Okay. Okay, Are the living conditions, because obviously we've all seen the documentaries, the living conditions of chickens and, you know, how horrible it is. They can't even move. Are, Are your practices with intentions of making it a little bit easier for these chickens or not not so much? Yeah, absolutely. We're back to the word humane again. What does it mean? Who defines it? Well, it's whoever is spending their dollar defines it, right? Ultimately, they define what humane is to them. If, if our brand and, and our company and I do a good job of being transparent, honest, available, they, they should have a good idea of what I think is humane. And they may or may not agree with that, but they'll know what our standard is. Because I guarantee there's a whole group of people whose standard is of humane is way different than mine. But we do take steps to give the animals the things that we think they like. Like, how the hell do we know? I mean, Tony mentioned it a minute ago. Like, we're the only animal interjecting information into this debate. <laughs> if you ask a lion... I've seen videos of lions eating wildebeest alive. Like they just start in their hindquarters and that wildebeest just has to live through all that till they finally bleed out. Like I, I highly recommend to everybody to, should subscribe to the, the Instagram account Nature is Metal because it reminds you, you guys are both yeah. nodding, so you're probably familiar with it, but it just reminds you of how brutal the death is in nature of of animals it's it's nothing like the quote unquote humane death of of these hogs that you're slaughtering but i wonder if you did strap that gopro onto a hog's head and it was in that co2 chamber and you put that on your i'm not saying this would ever happen but i'm just playing a hypothetical you put it on the peterson family farms website be like, these are how our hogs are slaughtered. Like, we think this is the best way to slaughter 1,500 head of hogs every week. Click the link below to buy your bacon. Do you think that the American consumer, I mean, we have so hidden away industrial meat and commercial meat production from Americans. When I'm walking in the meat section and the meat counter of, of my local supermarket and people are just grabbing chicken and pork tenderloin and a steak, I know they're not thinking about the animal from which that piece of meat came. You probably are, quite frankly, because you're immersed in it. But I wonder that gap between what you do and see every day and thinking about those hogs being slaughtered and the American consumer, like how do we bridge that gap so that people are more conscious about how our carnivorous habits have so many implications for, I mean, literally billions and billions of livestock around the world today. Oh, I think you just, everybody has to do their small part. Peterson's is doing a podcast dedicated to being more transparent, open, honest. The facts are, I believe put as much information as out there. A guy named Marcus Sheridan wrote a book called They Ask, You Answer. They ask, you answer. That's your job as a business. That's your job to help people feel confident and trustworthy in the things that you do. I think you probably, I would be totally fine with that. Matter of fact, I want to see it. I, I don't know that even I have a good understanding of what actually happens. But 
there are people within the Peterson's team who, who have no desire at all. They're like, I can sell this. I can be a huge proponent of our business, our company, eating meat, all those things. But that piece of it, I'm not interested in knowing. Am I mad at them for that? No. Am I mad at the rest of the world for not wanting to know as much as me? No, they just don't. Are they mad at me for wanting to know everything? I hope not. I mean, it's <laughs> like we just have to. They need to mind their own so, damn business if they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and PETA and HSU, all of the groups out there, it's, I, I tell you, you could follow me around for a day, maybe a week. It might take a while, but you're going to catch me doing a not, not super nice thing to an animal, to a bug, to my kids. I mean, look, they have a bad day. You have a bad day. At the same time, humans do mean and bad things, and that's that's what repentance is about. That's what understanding we're flawed. I mean, you don't lose so, your cool and then let a dog have it with a gun or anything, though. I mean, yeah. No, not well, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I mean, Neil. though, like Neil's yes, like, wait, I've done that this time. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're I, I had my a toe. <laughs> no, not that, but I had a herd of sheep. These wild dogs are in there killing my sheep. Yeah. I went to kill the dogs. Matter of fact, this is a funny story. I had a nine millimeter handgun, shot the dog what I thought was right in the head. He yelped, ran off, and came back two days later. Like, that's how bad of a shot I am. <laughs> Well, Joey, back I, I punched a dog in the nose two days ago because uh, all these dogs, like I said, were up at our uh, up at our cabin. They were all in crates for the night in the garage, and I went to let them out. And I let all the other dogs out before I let my own dog out. And when he was coming out, there was a very aggressive dog that started attacking my dog, and they got in a dog fight. And I broke up the dog fight, and I let the other I let the aggressive dog have it. And that's partly because, you know, dogs are pack animals and they respect the alpha in the pack. And that dog was trying to exert dominance. And I needed to remind that dog that I'm dominant over him. Humans are dominant. He's not the alpha in yep. that pack like I am. And I, I'm protecting the other animal. And again, I, I, there, there's a book called How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend that I have given out dozens of copies to that's all about this. Joey, maybe I'll send you a copy, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. It's written by some monks. Yeah, who, that sounds really cool. Raised dogs. <laughs> Neil, I wonder, we don't have to linger on this too much longer, but this particular mode of death, the CO2 chamber, so they suffocate is how they die. Because you're depriving them of oxygen, is that yep. basically right? And do you think because I I know at least I've heard this is this is kind of conventional wit. I'm thinking about Wilbur, by the yeah. way. I'll, I'll, any conversation yeah. about no, pigs, I'm thinking I mean, Wilbur. Yeah, yeah. All right. One of the things that's conventional wisdom in hunting, and you can tell me if this is accurate or not, if you know it, but that's that the the more traumatic, the more panic that a, an animal goes through in the course of its death, the worse the meat tastes. Right, because it releases all these endorphins and stuff. Stress, stress, stress toxins. Right. So that you want an animal. It's it's why you want to kill a deer by a double lung shot because its lungs fill with blood and it's dead. It takes two or three steps and dies. And you don't want to. You know, I've done this before. You shoot a deer in the front shoulder and it collapses, and it's freaking out because it can't stand up and run away. And so I wonder: is this like is the way that you all do this, or is the industry standard for uh, slaughtering hogs in a way, in some ways, to preserve the meat, and so that these 
these animals won't go into a panic state while they're dying? Absolutely. That Every step up to that moment of death is fashioned so they are as comfortable and calm as absolutely possible. That's why you'll catch the activists most of the time in slaughterhouses in those pens where they're kind of in holding prior to moving into the plant. That's where you'll catch them catching a guy beating a pig down or throwing a turkey or doing these things that aren't good. No person that that has interest in that animal being quality food for somebody else is going to do that Uh, or, or at least advocate for someone on their team to do that. So it's one of those scenarios where somebody had a bad day. Uh, Look, humans have so many crazy things in their lives like divorce and bills and kids and jobs. And, And so managing all that stuff and then also kind of getting, interacting with another life form that has its own brain, its own fears, its own thought processes, that can just spiral at times. And it turns out to, to be a really kind of ugly scenario that we, we generally avoid in 99.9% of every moment. There's a 0.1% that, you know, they're just really bad and not good. And we have to own that as an industry. Part of me coming onto this is, is dangerous ultimately to our brand because I, I can't help it. I just have to talk open and honest Your honesty about is who awesome. I am, where I come from, what I think I know, which is the older I get, the more I realize less and less. People that buy our products can hear this and think, oh, well, I never thought about it like that. I'm not doing, I'm not buying that again. Yeah. Well, I mean, then I think they should get to make that choice, right? Yeah. I want them to have the information. Do you think Christians should slow down a little bit and maybe entertain some hypocrisy when we say God this and creation that? and Jesus loves you and this and that. And we buy all of our meat from Walmart process. You know, we don't, we don't think anything about humane treatment of animals, where we're getting our meat. Is, is that at the least irresponsible for Christians, hypocritical? I don't know. I mean, Christians are a conundrum. Like the facts are they should put up in front of every church, only F-ups welcome. <laughs> you know, really the people going to church are people looking to improve themselves, be better, build a community around some really valuable thought processes. Now, but Christians mess up all the time. Like if you, I'm absolutely a hypocrite. <laughs> I go to the first Baptist church and you'll catch me drinking a beer. Uh-oh, like right there, I've already obviously broken trust. What you're asking to me, I don't, I, to me, I don't think it's, uh, I think you should just respect all life. Yeah. But that, that means eat it. Let it new, new, you know, be a nutritional truth in your life, and then go do good things. Yeah, Tony takes a real strong stance on alcohol. He's probably not going to air this anymore. You know, no, I'd say that, that Neil. Neil. When I hear uh-oh, that story, uh-oh. I think you, brother, you need to find a new church. <laughs> If drinking beer is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is the Bible yeah, Belt of Texas. Dancing is, you know, no dancing, no drinking. And listen, like there's nobody at that church that doesn't know all this about me. And probably, isn't it crazy how humans also talk about each other? And I do it. I mean, I'm not saying something that I haven't done. Talk about somebody else, a thing they do that's so bad. I know, but I, I, know, think, I did it just I the think other day. I think to Joey's point... And it's not just your church, man, but it's, it's, it's churches in the center and on the left and on the right. You're not going to, you're going to hear a lot of sermons about gay marriage or whether you shouldn't drink or how to raise your kids. You're not going to hear 
many, if any, sermons on industrial meat farming, care for animal life, and the questions about if, if it's ethical to be a carnivore, what does it mean to be an apex predator? How do we, you know, h- how do we as consumers push the entire protein industry to be more thoughtful and open like like your small family company is i mean what percentage of pork production are you in the united states i mean you're a you know, a drop in the ocean compared to the huge right the huge pork producers yeah so it would be awesome yeah. if your I'll pastor or my pastor ever preached about that i know americans have a lot of things to worry about and where their meat comes from is probably pretty low if there's one thing joey i think that walmart has done it's been to desensitize us to the actual cost of being carnivores like in the past being a carnivore had a cost because you had to go hunt your meat and that was a dangerous endeavor and some guys would go out from the tribe to hunt and they would not come back and then it 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 still has a cost to eat meat but it's been hidden away from us and we don't talk about it we don't think about it and i think it's honestly tragic and it's it's all tied into like we want cheap everything we want ground beef to be a buck 99 at the grocery store and we want gas to be two dollars a gallon but like we it clearly that's not working on the planet that we live on <laughs> either of those nobody things is not really sacrifice working. anything nobody wants sacrifice that's a reality you should expect and appreciate a little sacrifice in your life you can't have everything you want i mean it's a super important truth i'm trying to teach my daughters i'm not doing a very good job of it because we're we're blessed we're lucky i make a good living my wife makes a good living so it's easier to just give them what they want all the time but it is the worst job of parenting it is the worst preparation for real life. And we're, we're, we're working every day to get better, but we're not where we need to be. I make my kids go to workout. They have to be coachable. They need to be coachable. They need to be told, you're not good. I've had my kids sit on the bench. Uh, anyways, that's kind of off the topic of animals, but it's you're talking about sacrifice. And, and Americans have lived without sacrifice for so long that we all, we all think we should just be able to have everything we want. Facts are... That's not how it works. Neil, I just want to say I had no expectations going into this, and it has been a delight. I'm really happy to meet you, and it's not just because you're sending me a box of meat. Like, I really like you also. Well, good. I enjoy it. You guys make me better. Your audience makes me better. In some way, the, the truth that I spent an hour of my life trying to be of value and trying to just tell my truth it makes me better. So I appreciate it. Like you're doing me the biggest favor by, by challenging me and saying, well, yeah, but I don't know. Asking a question that I've never really thought about. Because to be honest, I've never thought in my mind, wow, are Christians doing their part in meat production and, and how animals are treated? I, never even occurred to me. You're right. The preacher never preaches on that. <laughs> my, the president of Peterson's, he goes to the Church of Christ and he preaches <laughs> I'm going to tell him to he preach should, a sermon. He, he might have. I wish he was here. You know, he is the, he and I are best friends since kindergarten. And that, I thank God for just the life he's given me. 
to work with him, to be in a business together. We both are saved and we both value that. And our, you can feel it in our company and our culture. Now, that does not mean we don't have some atheists or you know people working for us. I mean, we're not going to exclude them. Those talents are still super valuable and because they have a different religious slant than we do or even sexual orientation. None of those things are a reason for us to run people off. I've got family members that have, uh, you know, homosexuality, all those things. I love them. I mean, I do. Like, I just want the best for them. I just want to hug them and make sure they feel that because I don't think they necessarily do all the time. Jesus mighty, there I go rambling. Ask Tony Love that it. other question. Hey, Neil, I got a question for you before we go. You know, your podcast is about the cowboy life. And I, I think one thing that's so interesting is in, in the, even, even not just in, in the history of like Western civilization, but even in the 300 year history of, of the United States, the like the cowboy era was relatively short and was a relatively small amount of people. The number of cowboys there were relative to like the number of people who lived on the East Coast in, in the big cities during the cowboy era. It, what's shocking and what's interesting to me, how big of a role cowboys have in the American imagination relative to how few people were actually ever real legit cowboys, like driving cattle across the plains. So I wonder, you've done, I've, I've yeah. not ever thought much about this other than just to be intrigued oh, by man. how much people love cowboys. I think everybody has that cowboy spirit. Like cowboy represents what almost all Americans actually have. It's more of an American spirit. It's a really visual way of understanding this adventurer, tough, gritty lifestyle. And every American has lived that from the factory workers to people fishing, I, I don't know, skateboarders, all, all people have that thing. That's why Cowboy had such a small, real role in America, with such a huge influence. Look, people aren't interested in things that they don't relate to. Like, if you didn't relate to a Cowboy, you wouldn't be interested in it. And everybody has that little piece of them. They're like, man, I, I know that's, I've got a little bit of that in me. So that's <laughs> what my podcast is a lot about, interviewing and talking to and, and highlighting those people that mentored me and gave me the tools I think, I don't even think, I know make me successful. Also, like I interviewed this guy named Jay Samet. He's, he's no cowboy, but he paints watercolor cowboy pictures. He was actually a, a, a executive at Sony and was one of the first guys to put music into video games. Like his career is wild. Gosh. He's super, uh, he's super great guy to listen to because he thinks about everything opposite of the way I think about it. Like every bad thing, he thinks, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's going to be great for us. <laughs> you know, so he's valuable to me in that way to just think. Every time I'm thinking, oh man, this is bad deal. Oh, nope, change that. Oh, this is going to be a good deal. There's a, got a lot of opportunity in this pain if we can find it. So the Cowboy Perspective podcast, Peterson's Natural Farms, I'm going to give you a shot here, sir. So my brother who works on this podcast with me, he is a big butcher box customer. He gets tons of meat from butcher box. Why should he switch to Peterson's Natural Farms? T 
tell us? Uh, okay. Other well, than you being shouldn't. cool. He shouldn't. We they do beef mainly. We do pork, bacon, sausage, ham mainly. He should stay with Butcher Box. So your brother should go listen to the podcast where I interview Mike Salguero and Mike Billings. We used to do business with Butcher Box, and they were a huge customer of ours. We're early on, really, we made all we made all the Y'all bacon the that OGs. they used. Yeah, we are the we're the OGs when it comes to no sugar bacon for sure. Wow. If you if you listen to Butcher Box that episode on the Peterson's Farm podcast, there's a great. It's a great conversation. They talk about their their desire to change the whole meat industry. To me, it takes a special person. I, I can't think about things like that. I, I mean, I can, but I don't feel like I make much progress on it because it just feels so big. Like, we're, we're going to change the whole animal agriculture world. They can think about it. It's cool. They see ways of that happening. I don't. But anyways, your listeners, your brother at least, should go listen to that episode. He had learned a lot about ButcherBox and Peterson's. People that we do business with and around, they're our teammates in this greater market. Nobody else has to fail in order for us to succeed. I just believe that. So lift everybody up.